Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. And we are actually in Matthew chapter 8. And as we look at this, as we look at, at the chapter that we're in, I want you to know this is that, you know what? The Holy Spirit has moved Matthew in such a way as to prove that Jesus Christ truly is, in fact, the Messiah, the King of the Jews. You know, when we looked at chapter 8, as we began chapter 8, it's been like over a month now, Matthew wrote, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, to reveal the power of Jesus. He revealed the power of Jesus in healing a leper. He revealed the power of Jesus in healing a paralytic. And as we are told, that there were others that had many sicknesses as well as demon possessions. And he brought healing upon them. And then Matthew was led by the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus' power over nature itself. And he revealed to us how Jesus calmed the storm, the winds, and the sea to show us his amazing power that he has over nature. And then today, what Matthew does is, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he shows us the power that Jesus has over Men that were possessed by demons. And this is something that no one else can do. There was no one else that can deliver these people. And so Jesus Christ, in fact, showed us the power that he had over the demons. And so today we're going to be spending some time looking at Jesus' power over Satan and over his demons, which is the title of today's message. The power over Satan and his demons. And before we get into the details of this event, what I want to do is I want to break down today's study in four sections. So we're going to break down today's study in four sections. The first section is going to be the power of demons, the power of Jesus, the response of the people, and the response of the man that was healed. And so with that, let's go ahead and begin to read the portion of scripture that we're going to be going over. And it begins here in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 8. And it says this. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you? Jesus, you son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. And so the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from the region. You know, as we see this account, as we see the account 
that Matthew has given us, we're also going to be reviewing the account from Mark. See, Mark gives us some additional insight and teaching when it comes to the event that took place. And so as we examine the scriptures, I want to examine really and talk about the first topic of today's study, which is the power of demons. Okay, we're going to look at the power of demons. And it's important for us to understand that, that they do have power. And so let's examine the scriptures. Let's go verse by verse and see some insight on this power. Let's look at verse 28. It says, When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men, coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. Okay, let's stop there. Let me share with you where Jesus, what's been happening here and where Jesus is. See, Jesus was in Capernaum. He was in that city and and there he healed a paralytic as well as many who were sick and demon possessed. And one thing about Jesus is that his fame began to grow. He became like a celebrity. And let me remind you what a celebrity means. It means a famous person. And so as he was teaching, as he was healing, His fame started to grow and people started coming to Jesus in multitudes. They were following Jesus. And so what Jesus says is he says to his disciples, he says, you know what? We need to go to the other side. And what he meant by this is that, see, in Capernaum, he was there in Capernaum and he needed, he wanted to go to the other side. He needed to cross the Sea of Galilee. He wanted to go into the country of the Gergesenes. And imagine this. He wanted to go to the other side to meet these two demon-possessed men. Imagine how awesome this is, right? To think that, that Jesus is willing to go to a specific place to talk and to heal and to deliver these two men that were tortured by demons. They were tortured. They were suffering. They were experiencing great, great pain because of these demons. And not only did he want to go for the demons, but he also wanted to go there to the, to this, to the country of the Gergesenes because he wanted people to know about Jesus. He wanted people to know about himself. He wanted people to know that he had the power to deliver. Again, he had the power that only God had and he wanted people to realize this. Not only the two that were, he wanted to heal, but also the, the, the people that were there in the country of the Gergesenes. And so, as soon as he gets to the other side, as we read there, he meets these two men that are demon-possessed. When we look at the King James Version, it tells us this. It says that he met two who were possessed by devils. Okay, so we talk, and you know what? One thing I love about going through the Bible is that when we go through the Bible, it allows us to, to talk about topics that we normally wouldn't talk about. Topics that are, you know what, that, that we normally wouldn't just come up and say, hey, you know what, today we're going to b- talk about demons. The only reason we're talking about demons is because the scriptures bring us to the point. And the Spirit of God has led me to share with you things about demons. Okay? And as we look at this, I want you to understand that the devil and his demons have great power. When we look at the titles And the references to demons in the Bible, they're given to us so that we can come to a greater understanding as to their power and to the things that they can do. 
And I'm going to give you now just quickly, and if you need these later on, you can either ask me and I can email them to you or whatever the case may be. But Mike, the guy that's in charge of our audio right now, he's going to try his best to keep up with me, okay? So be patient with him. The devil in the scriptures is referred to as an adversary. He's an opponent, okay? And in that same scripture, it says that he is like a roaring lion. Imagine that. How many of you have seen a roaring lion? Not on TV, but have come close to listening to a lion roar before you. Man, they are loud, right? Well, this is what, what it references the devil to be like, like a roaring lion. That's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. When we look at the next thing that it refers to regarding the devil, it says that he is an antichrist. What does it mean to be an antichrist? He is an opponent of Christ. That's what it means. That the devil himself is an opponent of Christ from 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. The third thing that I want to share with you is regarding the devil, he is also called the great dragon. From Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. Imagine that. He is referred to as a great dragon. It also tells us about Satan is that he is an enemy. Imagine this. It refers to him as an enemy. He is a hateful, a hostile one towards people, the people of God, as well as the Lord himself. It also says that he is a wicked one. Matthew chapter 13, verse 38 and 39. When we also look at this, I want you to know that when we look at the Bible, it also refers to the devil as The God of this world. Imagine that. The God of this world. It says that He is the God of this world. In other words, He is the God of the world that we're in, right? Not of the universe. He is not outside. I mean, He is not in command of all things. He's in command. He's he's moving the pieces here. But God has allowed Him to move the pieces here in this world because God has a plan. Okay? When we also look, and that's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. When we also look at how the devil is titled, he is also given the title of a murderer. John chapter 8 verse 44, and also he is a father of lies. Imagine that. Not only is he a murderer, but he's also a father of lies. The other thing that it talks about the devil is this. Is that he is the power of darkness. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Not only is he the power of darkness, but he is also the prince of the power of the air. In other words, he has authority here in this world. The air that we breathe, this world that we're in. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 and 2. It also tells us that he is the ruler of the darkness of the world. Imagine this. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us that the devil is a ruler of the darkness of this world. It also says that he is a ruler of the world in John chapter 12 verse 31. Not only is he the ruler of the darkness of this world, but also the ruler of this world. How many of you like snakes? Not many of us like snakes, right? Some of us like them as pets. But in other words, we wouldn't be sleeping with snakes and all that stuff. Well, guess what? The devil is referred to as a serpent, as a snake. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. The devil is also referred to as a tempter. 
He is a tester. He is the one who entices. Matthew chapter 4 verse 3. And the final one that I'm going to give you is that he is also referred to as a thief. He loves to steal. John chapter 10 verse 9. You know, when we look at these, right, it reveals just who he is, the power that he has, and the things that he does. Okay? And how is it that, let me share this with you, how is it that the devil gets his work accomplished? I want to reveal a very important truth about the devil. I want you to know this about the devil, is that the devil cannot be at every place at once. In other words, he can't be here with us now and be also up there in West Covina, very close to us. He can't be at every place at one time. See, that is only something that God has. Only God can be at every place at every time. God is um, uh, omnipresent. In other words, He can be everywhere. The devil doesn't work that way. And so how is it that the devil accomplishes what he wants to do, right? Because we know that there's so many evil, go- so much evil going on. We see this happening in the Middle East. We see this happening in France. We see this happening also in our nation. How is it that he can accomplish all of these things? I want to give you, a, I want to give you some insight here. The devil has workers and they are called demons. And so what he does is he has demons to carry out his plan. He has demons to carry out his will. And one thing about demons, I want you to know this. They themselves are extremely powerful also. And so what I want to talk about now is what the demons can do to people. Okay, because we talked about it, right? This is why we're talking about this. The scriptures revealed that there were these two men that were demon-possessed. And so one thing we know about demons and people is that they can't possess an individual. What does it mean to possess? What does it mean to be demon-possessed? What this means is that the demon has taken control of an individual. It means that the demon inhabits the body of a person. That's what it means to be demon-possessed. How is it that demons possess or inhabit the body of people? The The Bible doesn't tell us how he goes into people. But one thing that the Bible does say is that the demons take residence in a person's body. Okay? And so for us, right, as people, we want to know this. I mean, it's important that we understand this, is that how is it that you and I, or people, can invite demons into our lives? Okay? How is it that we can do this, right? And I want to share this. It's important that we know this. How we invite demons into our lives is through sin. When you practice sin. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 tells us this. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Okay? We are also given additional insight in the Bible about keeping the devil out of our lives. How can you keep the devil out of your lives? James chapter 4 verse 7 says this, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So imagine this, if you want the devil out of your life, what you do is you submit to God and you resist the devil and he will flee from you. First Peter gives us additional insight about this, right? 
as he tells us this. He says, in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant. In other words, be alert, be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, right? We just read this. We're reading this, right? And it tells us that he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. But how is it that you can keep him from devouring you? Okay? Resist him. Be steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Okay? So let's talk about believers. Because I've been referencing believers and non-believers. Let's talk about believers. And what I'm talking about here is believers that have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. Born again believers. Believers that have said, you know what Jesus, by faith you are my king, you are my ruler. I'm surrendering my life to you. Okay, you do that by faith. So that's a born again believer, right? So... The devil, I want you to know this. What can he do in the life of a believer? So we're going to talk about first thing, what he cannot do, and then we're going to spend five points on what he can do. Okay? And remind, let me remind you, we're talking about the power of the devil. So the first thing, I'm going to give you six points here. Okay? The first point is on what the devil cannot do to a believer. Okay? The first point is this. A believer cannot be possessed by a demon. A believer cannot be possessed by a demon. Okay? And let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, to see this to be truth. It says there, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Okay? So when we look at this, the Bible is very clear that, the, that, that Christ and the devil are not one, right? And that they cannot dwell together. See, it tells us that light and darkness cannot dwell together. And so a born-again believer that has the Holy Spirit in them cannot be possessed by the devil. And why is this? Because the two cannot dwell together in one, in a in body of a man. And so as we see this, right, let us, let us know this to be the truth because the Scriptures tell us that they cannot dwell together. Okay? So what can the devil do to believers? Okay, there's things that he can do. And now we're going to go over five points as to what he can do. The second point or the first point with, with the fact that of what he can do is that a believer can be influenced by Satan. A believer can be influenced by Satan. Okay, and so let's look at the scriptures to see this. It says here in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 21, it says this. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Imagine that Peter takes him to the side and rebukes him and says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me. This is Jesus telling him now, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. 
And let me remind you about Peter. Remember Peter. What was Peter? Peter was a disciple. He was a follower of Christ. He was there with Jesus. And so what was Peter? What happened to Peter is that Peter was influenced by the devil to persuade Jesus not to suffer and not to go to the cross. Okay? I want you to know this. The devil, he loves to influence both believers and non-believers to keep the believer from walking with Christ and from doing the work of God. And what do I mean by this? How many of you have had friends, family, or people, and this includes believers and non-believers, influence you from doing the things of God? Like some of them will tell you, you know what, why do you go to church? Right? How many of you have heard that? Why are you going so much to church? For those of you that go on midweek service, right? Why do you go on Wednesday? Why do you go there on Wednesday? Why are you spending so much at church? Why are you spending all this time there? You know what? It's going to take you away from your family, right? It's going to take you away from your friends. What about this? You spend so much time at church that it's going to take you away from, from doing your job. See, you, you don't want to take a job because you... You know what? The job requires you to work on Sunday. Or the job requires you to work where? On evenings there during the week. And so guess what? Why do you want to go to church? Guess who they're being influenced by? The devil. I want you to understand this. Whether you're a believer or non-believer, you will be influenced from them, by them. Or, you know what? Not only does he use people to influence you, what about this one? All of a sudden, you get an idea that pops in your head, right? And you know what? And, and what you wanted to do is you had plans to either read your word or to pray. And all of a sudden, an idea pops in your mind to say, get your phone and look at Facebook. Somebody wants to share something with you. And then all of a sudden, you pull your Facebook out and, you re- and, and, and all of a sudden, guess what? You spend there an hour on Facebook. And then you forgot And you have no time to do what? To read or to pray. These are the the way the enemy works. This is the influence that he has, right? And understand this. This Peter, Peter was influencing Jesus. He was telling Jesus, you know what? Don't go to the cross. You know what? Don't suffer. The devil was was using Peter. And that's why Jesus himself said, get behind me, Satan, to show us. That you know what? That the devil influences, he uses people to influence. And we must understand that. What's the third thing? Or the second thing as far as what he does to believers? A believer can, can, a believer can be hindered by the devil. A believer can be hindered by the devil. The devil can hinder the believer from completing the work of the Lord. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. Where it says, therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. See, Paul wanted to go to the church there in Thessalonica. But what happened, I mean, he knew that this church needed encouragement. There was false doctrine that went in and he wanted to remove those destructive seeds. And so what Satan did is that Satan decides to hinder, to oppose Paul from going into the church of Thessalonica. He prevented their visit. See, Satan and his demons can hinder the work of God in our lives. They bring obstacles. What kind of obstacles 
do we face that the enemy brings? In your job, he gives you new schedules, right? You have a new schedule. Understand this. The new schedule has been given to you to keep you what? From going to church? To keep you from the ministry? Or guess what happens? He also gets you called in, right? Right when you're ready to come to church, and all of a sudden you get a call and they say, hey, we need you at your job. He hinders you. Or what, what happens too is that you want to go where? You want to you wanna go participate in a certain ministry, and guess what happens? You get a phone call. And they say, we need you at work, right? You can't go and, and be a part of that retreat or that ministry because we need you at your work. He brings opposition. You know, maybe family, maybe friends, they tell you, you know what? Don't go to church today, right? We want you here with us. Don't go to that ministry. Don't be a part of that retreat. Don't be a part of this, right? Because we want you at home. Guess where that opposition is coming from? It's coming from the devil. He brings obstacles to hinder the work of God. The fourth point that we're going to talk about is a believer. Remember what he does to believers. A believer is tempted by the devil. Okay. I want you to know this. The believer, I mean, the devil loves to tempt you, right? He lost you. For those that are believers, he lost you. When you surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, he lost you. And so he brings temptation into your life to bring you back, to get you back to him. And what I mean by this is that, you see, what he does is he entices you with sin. Because he wants that sin to become now part of you, that you begin to practice his sin, and he brings you back to him. Imagine, if Jesus was tempted by the devil himself, how much more will he tempt us? Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, And Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Imagine, Satan. Remember one thing about Satan is he's been so successful at tempting people, right? When he tempted Adam and Eve, the first people that were ever created, our forefathers, right? Adam and Eve. He tempted them to sin and he was successful. And he see, he's been so successful ever since Adam and Eve, right, as they brought sin into this world, that he's been so successful at making people sin, tempting them into sin, that he's been doing it over and over again, up to this very day, to the first that, person that will be born. You know, after they, 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 they're able to make choices, they will sin. And so what I want you to understand is that when Satan saw Jesus, that he had put on flesh. Remember, Jesus was 100% God, but he decided to put on flesh. He decided to come in the form of a man. And so Satan saw Jesus, right, with the flesh on, and he said, you know what, I've been so successful, I've been doing great, that I'm going to also tempt Jesus and make him sin. And so this is why he tempted Jesus. He thought that he would have victory over, over, over Jesus, and we know one thing is that he wanted to disqualify Jesus from going to the cross. He wanted to disqualify him by making him sin. And so as he does this, understand this, is that he, he, he's been so successful. He wasn't successful with Jesus because Jesus was tempted without sin, though. He never fell for it. But with everyone else, he's been successful. And so this is what he does to believers. Look at what it says, and I'll give you insight on this from James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. He says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he will not tempt you to do evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, it says. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. See, the devil, right, he's the one that brings this temptation, and I want you to understand this. He brings it because he wants to entice you to sin. And the Bible tells us that when sin is full grown, when you make that sin part of your lifestyle, it brings forth death. And that's what we have here, right? This is what he wants to do. This is his ploy. I want to talk about another thing that a believer can do, uh, that, that the devil can do or his demons can do to believers. Point number five, a believer is persecuted by the devil. Remember this, a believer is persecuted by the devil. We went over this scripture, right? First Peter chapter five, beginning in verse eight, be sober, be vigilant, talking about the devil. He's, he's your adversary and he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who can devour. It tells us to resist him, be steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. When he mentions knowing that the same sufferings, he's talking about the devil there that persecutes who? Believers. And we must understand this, that persecutions are coming. Know this. When we look at the United States of America, and it's a great nation, understand this, that what we see today, we are not experiencing the persecutions that are going on in the rest of the world. I want you to know this, that we see the beginning of the persecution, but we are no way experiencing the same persecutions that other Christians in other parts of the world are experiencing. Right now you have ISIS, right? ISIS is just, what they're doing is they are going there in the Middle East, they're in Syria, they're in Iraq, and what they're doing is they are, they are finding Christians and they are just torturing them, they're killing them, they want them to renounce their faith. And so we see this, and not only in the Middle East, but you see this in other parts of the world, where Christianity, the persecution against Christianity, and I'm not just talking about, because many people call themselves Christians, I'm talking about true Christians that place their faith in Jesus Christ. It is on the rise. It is escalating, and it is only going to get worse and worse and worse. And here in our country, we see the beginning, and it is only going to increase. Persecution will always continue until the Lord returns. And what we see here is that Peter reminds us, right? He says that there is this devil. He, he's like a roaring lion. And for those of you, remember when I mentioned that roar, when you heard that roar, you had such fear, right? When you heard the lion's roar, it just brings fear upon us. And this is what the devil loves to do. He loves to bring fear. And so how is it that, that he roars at Christians? Through persecution, through temptation, through hindrance, through influence, the things that we've been talking about. The last point that I want to talk about what the devil does to believers is point number six. A believer can be oppressed. A believer can be oppressed. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You look there, that he went out healing those that were oppressed by the devil. 
What does it mean to be oppressed? Okay? Oppression comes in the form of harassment. Oppressed means to be harassed. It means to be troubled. And as we're talking about evil spirits here, you are harassed and troubled by demons. You are harassed and troubled by evil spirits. Not that they're possessing you, but they are oppressing you. I want you to understand that there's a big difference. Possession means he comes into you, right? Oppression means that he's outside of you and he's harassing you and he's bringing trouble to you. And how does he do this? Okay. We talked about all the other stuff, but how does he do this oppression? How many of you have ever had evil thoughts come to your mind? Okay. How many of you have had evil words that all of a sudden come into your mind? How many of you had evil ideas, perversities and blasphemies against God? We all, you know what, I want you to understand that. The devil wants to keep this silent, but I'm going to expose what he does. He does that to all of us. Okay? You are not the only one. Don't think that you are the only one that this happens to. See, all of a sudden you're in a place and you have this evil thought or this evil word that pops into your mind. Where does it come from? You think to yourself, where did that come from? Oh, you know what? I'm sinning. I'm bad. I'm evil, right? But it's the devil that is giving you injections of evil. He's putting these thoughts in your mind. He's putting these evil thoughts that are ugly, that are condemning. And I want you to know that you are not an isolated case. Having these injections of perversities and blasphemies are common with believers, and how do they, how does he do it? How does the devil do this? Because all these things, they come out of nowhere, right? They come to us, they're out of nowhere, and all of a sudden you have it. How many of you have ever experienced it when you're praying? All of a sudden you have an evil thought. You have an evil word, you have blasphemy that comes, right? Where do you think it's coming from? It's not from you. It's from the devil. He's oppressing, he's bringing these thoughts into your mind. These evil injections, evil thoughts, evil words, they are coming from demons. And I want you to understand this, because there's some of you that may have suffered from this, or are suffering from this. Understand that sometimes it becomes so unbearable, doesn't it? That you can't take it, and they're constantly there, in and out, and they're coming, and you're thinking to yourself, what have I done? See, I want you to know this. That demons bring these blasphemies, these thoughts into your mind. And there's sometimes some of us or some people that will think that they've committed the unpardonable sin. The blasphemy, right, of the Holy Spirit. And understand this is that, 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 you know what, that he convinces people, believers that they've done this and they're nothing but lies. And the Lord wants to release you of these lies. See, the fact that believers come into church proves that they have not committed the unpardonable sin. For those of you that have evil thoughts and blasphemies, understand this, all you do is repent. And by repenting, it negates this unpardonable sin. See, the unpardonable sin, I want you to know this, it requires that you remain hard and unrepentive towards God. See, the one that does commit the unpardonable sin is the one that continues to reject the power of God that worked in Jesus and that works in us. See, your conviction and the fact that you're here at church 
proves that the Holy Spirit has not left you, which means that you have not committed the unpardonable sin. Okay? So, how do they stop? How do these, for, you know what, how do these things stop? One thing that I want you to understand is that Jesus has set you free. Jesus has set you free. And these are just injections. These are lies. These are all these other things that we talked about. These are from the devil. But look at what it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus himself speaking. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is what he does. He sets at liberty those who are oppressed. Okay? And this is what, this, the, what, what, what the, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of God is giving us. Okay? How is it that you and I can overcome the attacks of the devil and his demons? How can we overcome them? I mentioned them earlier. There's four ways. One, don't sin. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. Don't sin. Okay? Remember, we're talking about the attacks. Point number two, submit to God. James chapter 4, verse 7. You submit to God, which means that you're going to obey the Lord. You're going to do as He says. Remember, practicing sin opens the door for the enemy. Submitting to God, which is which is walking with God and, and, and obeying God, that closes the door, right? Doing as He says. It doesn't mean that you're going to be without sin because every single one of us, even as believers, we will sin. But we're not going to practice it. That's the difference. And that's important for us to know. Resist the devil. Okay? How are you going to resist the devil? I'm going to share this with you. And this is, this is what's going to help everybody here and this is what Satan doesn't want any of you to know. I want you to understand what I'm going to share with you now. Resist the devil. Okay. When Satan brings all these things that I've been talking about, these oppressions, all of these things, these hindrances, these, these, uh, these influences, these temptations, all of this stuff, right? Whenever he brings them to you, I want you to know how you resist the devil. You know what you are immediately supposed to do? You're immediately supposed to pray or to read your word. Okay? And the reason I tell you this is because, see, this will keep him from his constant attacks and his continuous attacks. You know why? Because what is David's, what is Satan's ploy, the devil's ploy? His ploy is to do what? Is to draw you further away from God, right? That's his ploy. But when you pray and when you read the word, what are you doing? What is he doing? He's drawing you closer to the Lord when he's doing these things against you. So it's working and it's working against him. So if you begin to practice reading and praying when you have these evil thoughts, these oppressions, these hindrances, these influences, these temptations, then he's going to stop because he doesn't want you drawing closer to the Lord. He wants to draw you further. So the more you draw closer to the Word, to the Lord, and if you're doing this, when He brings these things about against you, then guess what? You're going to have victory. You will overcome because He doesn't want you to do this. This is key. If you want to stop these things, He doesn't want to lead you to Christ. So begin to incorporate prayer. Begin to incorporate reading the Word. And you will have freedom. Not that he's going to stop. 
Because you'll try other means, but a lot of these things will begin to diminish. He says to be unwavering, right? As we move on, as we looked at there, be steadfast in the faith. Be strong in, in the faith. Be immovable in, your, in the faith. How do you become strong in the faith? How do you become immovable? You know your doctrine. You know the word of God. See, what we do here, I want you to know this, is we are disciples. I disciple you on Sundays. I teach you. I don't preach. I teach. We go verse by verse so that you can know these things, so that you can become students. But see, it's not enough just to be here on Sunday. What's important for you is to be a part of discipleship classes. Be grounded in the faith. Understand these things. Be a student of the Word. Not only here, but be studying the Word of God at your home. Study the Word of God. Be immovable in your faith. Now that we finish what He can do to believers, what can He do to a non-believer? Okay? One that is not born again. Remember, one that has not surrendered himself by faith to Jesus Christ. I want you to know that you are free game to the devil. You belong. That's where you belong, right? You haven't surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you. The Holy Spirit only dwells in you when you surrender yourself to Jesus Christ by faith. That's the only way for Him to dwell in you. And so if you haven't surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ, you're free game. What I mean by this is that the devil is free to possess you, to oppress you. This is why we have all these accounts of demon possessions. And for us, I want you to know, we may not see a lot of demon possessions, or we think we don't see a lot of demon possessions, but I want you to know this, that they are out there. I want you to know this. There are some people out there that have been classified with mental illnesses, but I want you to know this, not all of them have a mental illness. Many of them have demon possessions. But I also want to be clear on this, that not every mental illness is possessed by a demon. Okay, so I want to be clear on that. But there are many that do have mental illnesses that are actually possessed by demons. And I want you to understand this, that possessions, they're horrible. They are horrible. Because see, these persons are possessed and subject to the control of the evil, evil spirit. And this is what happens to many people. And I want to share this with you. And I'm going to be true to you. I'm going to share things with you. I have been involved with two demon possessions. And believe me, I was called there to deliver, the, to deliver from the demons. And these, this individual, they had multiple demons in them. Okay? This is real. This is not fake. This is, I want you to know I've seen it and I've seen it firsthand. And I want you to understand this, that the people are controlled by the evil spirit. And it's a horrible thing. These people are suffering by these demon possessions. They're tormented by the demon. And when you have multiple demons, as I experienced, when you are there to deliver them, understand this, is that even though they speak with the same voice that the individual possesses, they have a different tone to them. Okay, They have a different tone. And they surface, especially when you're there, right? And, the power, and God has sent us there because it's His power that delivers. It's not mine. It's His power that does it. It's just like the Lord was able to deliver these two demon-possessed people. And these individuals, believe me, when you talk to them, you know what? They want to be free. 
but they're in control of the spirit. And when you give them what the, 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 when you come to them in the name and the power of God, believe me, they fear. They are so afraid of Jesus and the power of Jesus. They even have, you know what, these people, they even do abnormal movements. It's movements that you would not normally do, the twisting of hands and all that stuff. They have that stuff. But when Jesus delivers them, it all goes away. See, this is the power of Jesus. And we must understand that there is power in the name of Jesus. And every enemy that Jesus has, demons, we've been talking about the power of, of the devil and the demons, every single one of them, they are powerless against Jesus. They are powerless. They know the power that is in Jesus and those that come in the name of Jesus. The reason for demon possessions with non-believers, real quick, we talked about, uh, you know, the harassment and all that stuff, but I want you to understand there's certain things that if you want to open the, uh, the door for, for the devil to come in and possess you as a non-believer, practice sin. Practice sin. But also, you know what opens the door for them? is practicing the occult. The mystical and magical practices of these things open the enemy to come in and to possess you. And what we're talking about here is we're talking about astrology. I'm also talking about horoscopes. If you are reading horoscopes today, guess what? That's not of the Lord. These are all from the enemy and this is how he wants to come into your life. Stop reading horoscopes. Stop playing with Ouija boards. Stop opening the doors for the occult, for these things to come into your life. You want to know what else opens the door for the enemy, for possessions and that? Is drug abuse. It opens the door. I want you to know every time there were these demons and worshiping of idols and all that stuff. It happens through the opening of door because of the drugs. The drugs open the door for the enemy to come into your life, to possess you. And so it's important that we understand that drug abuse causes this. You know what else causes this? Rebellion. If you are rebelling against authority, against God, then guess what? It opens the door for the enemy to work. Immoral practices all of these things open up the door. I want to share quickly with you, because we're out of time. I want to share quickly with you symptoms of demon possessions from the Bible. Not from me, but from the Bible. It says here that people that are demon possessed become mute. Matthew chapter 9, verse 32 and 33. People that are demon possessed can be blind and mute. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. People that are demon-possessed can become epileptic. Matthew chapter 17, verse 15 and 18. People that are demon-possessed inflict injury upon themselves. Imagine that, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 all the way through verse 20. Understand this, demons make people strong. They have this power that comes upon them. They, these people are strong because these demons are strong, not stronger than Jesus. But I want you to know that they are extremely strong. Let's look at Mark's account to look at this. There in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerderines. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he, had been, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. 
and the chains had pull, been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Cutting himself, cutting. Understand this. When we look at this, let's bring this home. How many of us, when we pass by cemeteries, do we shiver and quiver? How about at night? How many of us are, don't like going, does anybody like going by a cemetery at night? Give me a show of hands. Ozzy, you like going by cemeteries at night? That's crazy. No, no, we don't like that. I know you don't. I know you misunderstood me. But we get all, you know what? I mean, just walking by all these, you know, these, these tombs and all this stuff, right? We get all like, nerd, like, oh, you know what? This is, this is, give me the ewee jeebies, right? You get all, you know, like, concerned. Well, think of it this way. Imagine. Remember, I'm painting you a picture of what's happening here. This is where the tombs were, right? Imagine this. Imagine all of a sudden you see a crazy madman screaming and crying. And people knew he was demon-possessed. And we're going to find out he was not possessed only by one, but he was possessed by many. So imagine all these sounds that would come out of his mouth. He would run around and people would not even want to pass by this gravesite. But one thing that Mark tells us is he gives us additional insight, right? Mark, as we read it, Mark said that there were two, not one. And I want to be clear on this because many people say, well, there's an error in the Bible, right? The Bible isn't true, but you know what? When you begin to look at it, when you begin to see what the Bible is trying to say, you realize that there is no error. Mark and Luke both say that there's two. You know why Matthew says there's, I mean, both say that there's one. Mark and Luke say there's one. Matthew says there's two. Matthew gives us the account, the whole account. Mark and Luke, the reason why they say there's only one is because they are recording for us the conversations that Jesus had with that one individual. If you look at it all, it's all a conversation between one of these demon-possessed men with Jesus. And so what he would do, as we see there, they were strong. It reveals to us the power, right? These men were strong. That they would even break chains and shackles. Imagine that. That they would chain them up with shackles and chains. And with their mere strength, they would bust them open. Verse 29, and after this we're going to close. It says here, And suddenly they cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Understand this. In examining the power of Satan and his demons, I want you to know one thing, that these demons have knowledge. They have knowledge. When you look at this, right, the first thing we see there is that what do they say, these men that are possessed with these demons? What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? I need to be clear on this. The devil was not always the devil. Before he became the devil, you know what he was? He was the angel Lucifer. Look at what it says in Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. And not only was he an angel, but he was the most beautiful angel that God created. Can you believe this? That the devil himself, and when you see it, you know what? When we see him, not that we're going to see him. I pray that none of us will see him when we pass on. But when we see him, because we're going to be in heaven and he's going to, we're going to see when Jesus throws him into the lake of fire. Understand this about Satan. We're going to see how beautiful he was. He wasn't ugly. All the descriptions about him were, were not to describe his physical appearance, just who he is and what he does. But look at what it says in Ezekiel about his appearance. 
Ezekiel 28, beginning in verse 12. Son of man, take up lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, this is speaking now of the devil, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your trimbles and pipes was prepared for you on that day you were created. When he talks about these trimbles and these pipes, understand this. This shows us that devil, the devil himself, before he became the devil, when he was the angel Lucifer, he was a worshiper of God. God created him to sing praises to the Lord. It goes on to say, You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until inequity was found in you. And when he sinned and rebelled, when, he allowed, when inequity fell into his heart, he drew a third of the angels with him. Look at what it says in Revelation 12, verse 4. His tail drew a third of the stars, meaning angels, of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. You know, when you look at this, right? And the reason I bring this up is because the angels knew who Jesus... I mean, all angels were created by Jesus, so they knew Jesus. When they became demons, they still knew Jesus. They still knew, his, uh, knew who he was. And so when they saw Jesus, right, they said, you know what? You are Jesus, the Son of God. See, it's amazing, right, that they were able to identify him because they were with him. At one time, they served him. So when they saw him on earth, they knew who he was. And not only this, they know their timetable. It says there, have you come here to torment us before the time? The time that they're talking about is when all the angels will be thrown into the lake. I mean, not the angels, the demons will be thrown into the lake of fire. One day they will be thrown into the lake of fire. How do we know that? It tells us this in Revelations chapter 20. It says, and it speaks to us about how they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. But I want to give you an important insight on demons. Somehow they know. They know things. And the reason I'm going to share this with you is because when Revelation was written, it was written 60 years after Jesus Christ died and rose again. So they knew before we knew that they would be thrown into the lake of fire. How they know, how they know these things, I don't know. But we know that they know things, just like they know things about you. I want you to understand this. The demons, I don't know how they know things about us. Sometimes we, as people, think of things, and yet we know that some things come to us, right? And, and, and they know things about us, and things are disclosed about us. And we think to ourselves, how does the devil know that about me? But as remember, there's injections, right? He knows these things, but I want you to understand what the devil does with you. The devil studies you intensely. The devil looks at you, and he's constantly studying you. Understand this, he intently studies you and watches you day and night. The devil has assignment of demons to you to study you, to know your weaknesses, to know your strength, to know everything about you so that they can do what? Take you down. Their purpose is once again to bring destruction in your life, to hinder, to oppose, to influence, to tempt the believer and the work of God that he wants to do through your life. And this, I have to give you this last one. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. 
Matthew doesn't tell us this, but Mark tells us this. Look at what it says here. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Mark tells us one thing, and this is the key to all of this. Mark tells us that the demons in this man, what did they do? They worshipped Jesus. When you look at this word worship, you know what it means? It means to prostrate themselves before Jesus. In other words, what these men did is that they fell to, what this man did is he fell to the ground and he began to worship Jesus. Imagine this. These are demons. And the reason I bring this to you is to show you that they, that Jesus Christ is greater than the demons or the devil himself. They had to prostrate themselves to worship God. See, God is greater than the devil. For those of you that belong to Jesus Christ, understand this. You don't have to worry about the devil. Because the one that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And understand this about Jesus Christ. He created the demons. So how can they be greater than the creator? You and I contain such power within us for those of us that have surrendered ourselves to Jesus Christ. As we've been studying this, we're going to talk next week because we don't have time. We're going to talk about the power of Jesus. We're going to talk about the response of the people that see the power of Jesus and the response of man. But what I want to do now is give you an opportunity to receive this power, to receive Jesus Christ into your hearts by faith. Remember, it's important that we come to Him by faith. We see what the devil does to people. He brings destruction in the lives of people. But Jesus will not allow him to destroy any of those that belong to him. And if you want to belong to Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that now. Everyone here, close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm going to give you an opportunity now to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ by faith. Lord, we thank you for your glorious word. Thank you for reminding us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. If there's anyone here, and this is your calling, this is your wooing, this is you bringing people to you, if there's anyone here that wants to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this now, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen, 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 amen. Anyone else? Raise your hand. Anyone else? Let me see those hands. Anyone else want to receive Jesus? Remember, it's an act of faith. The devil right now is telling many of you, don't raise your hand. Don't let the power of God release the chains and the shackles that you have upon you. If you are practicing sin and you see yourself continually falling into sin, Jesus Christ wants to release you of this. Raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone else want to receive Jesus Christ by faith? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Do it by faith. Do it by faith. There's a supernatural wonder that happens as we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ. We become new creations. The Lord transforms our lives and makes us brand new. Anyone else? Raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone else? Don't let the devil keep you from all that God has for you. Anyone else? For those of you that are raising your hand, I'm going to ask you now to stand up and I'm going to ask you to repeat these words after me. If you raise your hand, stand up and repeat these words after me. Anyone else? Anyone else? Stand up. Lord, you see these that are standing. 
Lord, they're humbling themselves before you. They're saying, yes, they're in desperate need of Jesus. They need you more than anything else. And they want to surrender their lives to you by faith. For those of you that are standing, I'm going to ask you to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I come to you by faith. Faith in you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your Son. Your Son for me. To die for me. To die for my sins. Even when I wanted nothing to do with you, you sent them to die for me. I thank you. I praise you. Holy Spirit, I need you. I need your power. I need your power to say no to sin and to my flesh. Convict me when I want to sin, when I'm tempted. When I have these evil thoughts, these evil desires. May your voice speak loud and clear. And may I obey your voice. I come to you thanking you and praising you and loving you. You are now my Savior and my Lord to do as you say, not as I. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.